Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm your certified, qualified host, Steve Lucky Luciano. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the greatest show on earth. It's the Hard Luck Show. We are coming at you from the Virus Bunker in Southern California. Today, sitting across from me, my co-host and partner is Chumahan Bone, American Indian, Southern Californian, here to bring you some shit from the reservation once yeah, again. All my red brothers. Yeah. Yeah. If you stick it to the man. You see, that's the Indian in between. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. If you were storyteller. Yeah, man. That's real. I like that shit, man. Res kid. That's it. Snotty nose res kid. Snotty nose. I like that. And on sound, old blue eyes. Sean Lewis, certified audio professional. I'm still engineer. A hard look. Yeah, get in there. Oh yeah, get in there. Yeah, yeah, I see you coming from a mile away. What? Cause you'll be biting the nine once again. What? You'll be biting the nine once again. Yeah, we're bringing out the energy, man. Gangster, yeah, he's all about eyes. heat today. Yeah, he is. Yeah. We also today have a very special guest came down from Spokane, Washington. This gentleman, Mr. Jesus, is here with us today. He flew down to do the show. He's a new member of the, the Hard Luck team. He's handling all of our digital social media platform stuff. Let's welcome Jesus to the show. What's up? What's up? What's up? Boom. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. What's this? Welcome back. Yeah. Welcome back, Jesus. Welcome back, Jesus. Yeah. Got our back today. Got our back. Welcome back. Yeah, Jesus. And listen, man. This show. Yeah. This episode. Yeah. Is titled West Los Documentary. Okay. The West Los Documentary. Which, as you all know, is a project that we have been working on and continue to work on. And uh, we are now moving into post-production. We have a very special guest, you guys. The gentleman that created. The talented. The talented. But created the vision, the idea, and the concept behind this documentary. And so much more from the illustrious, renowned... Chacon family in Culver City, California. Let's welcome Mr. Director of the film, Mr. Charlie Chacon. To the show. Charlie Chacon. What's up? Yes. From all the four corners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and speaking of. Just just to get us in the right mood. Speaking mm-hmm. of, I'm gonna. This is a quiz for you, Steve. Yes. I mean, we're gonna put this in here. We're talking about cinema. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Los Angeles projects, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about talented Chicanos. Yes. And I want you. I want to take us all back 
take us all back and let's listen to this collaboration and maybe you can tell us what it is hmm. not that Sorry. no god damn it <laughs> Sean Lewis okay and back no, no. Yeah, yeah. My what? wife, by the way. Uh, what the hell? No, listen. My wife, by the way. You can't shot Back on track. No, my wife, by the way. For the last week, I've been going like, oh, puss, puss. And she's like, will you fucking shut the fuck yeah. up? All right. Say no, that shit. I was just kidding. Here, this is the real one. Listen in. This is a quiz. Here we go. Real angry. Think she's pregnant, huh? It's from American Me. It's <laughs> yeah. from American Me. Her, huh? East LA. Yeah. Don't look at me. Oh. Don't look at me. Yeah, that's uh, not Don't so good fight. collaboration. Yeah. That's not so good right there. I love that because you quote that a lot and you're like, don't look at me. Little puppet. Don't look at me. And I'm like, yeah, we got to pull that on. So now that we've got all that out there. Yeah. You know, man, been wanting to get um, deeper. We had Charlie on the show a while back. I think the title of the show. We had him twice. Twice, okay. We had him once. When the original show, mm-hmm. right, when Charlie came on with uh, Schmirnoff, right, 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 and we found the empty bottle of Schmirnoff right, in the right, corner right, of the right, yoga. right, big short store, yeah, big short episode, <laughs> and then that's right, mm-hmm. and then Charlie also did um, some improv directing uh, at the, the Lions, Lions event. Lions Lion, event, okay, right. at the yeah that little art show, Westlow's right. art show with Lion. This shout right. out to Lions. Yep, shout out to Lion. We're thinking about you, man. So. You know, it, and it's been back and forth. And what we haven't gotten to do is we haven't really gotten to peel into Charlie's, you know, you know, concept, this whole vision and where he's coming from and how kind of this, this came to be, man. And, and this beautiful project out of the four corners, man, and, and how this story came to be and his history. And I wanted to kind of get into that and introduce our listeners right. to uh, Mr. Charlie Jacone, who like you know, in in five years from now, this guy's name's gonna be a household name. So maybe 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 three years. Maybe now. three years. So you know, I wanted I wanted to talk, Charlie. Give us a little rundown, man. You 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 born and raised in Culver City, man, and kind of like kick it off from there. Give us a little history on you, partner. Well, you know, being born and raised in a particular area, you fall in love with your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of passion, and like you want to tell your story about where you grew up and. Course. That's why we were proud to be where we're from, and we, you know, being from their neighborhood, you get it blasted on you. Uh oh. You know what that is? Yes, sir. yes, we do. We, we know what that is. <laughs> do you know what that is? I know exactly what it is. That's right. And then I'm the in past. the back. To the past. Yeah. Right. This is Charlie's baby right here. Yeah, it is. Breathing nostalgia. A moving piece of I was sold f- from the trailer, bro. Going on six years. Yeah, sold on the trailer, man. Just like the body. I get excited every time I hear it. I do too. The way that guy's talking and everything yeah. and the images. It just, it's just ill, bro. It's in Charlie's uncle's shop, right? You it's put, in my uncle's shop. Right. Yes. Everything you see on there is just 
what it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? You see bolts on the floor, that's what you see. Right. And um, I wanted to capture that realness. Um, not only capture realness, you know, capture a real documentary story. Right. Um, and I think it's, it, it was only right to let everybody tell their own story from their own um, perspective of growing up in their neighborhood. Um, giving everybody opportunity to, to collaborate with me on this um, project. Right. And that's what's so special about it because I was told it could never be done. Why? What was the what was the reason why it could never be done? Well, being from Culver City, you know, I mean, from a family that's well known as being from the gang of Culver City, that's kind of like going into your rival neighborhood. It's unheard of. Going into your rival neighborhood and ask, can you do a film with me? And they're like, hell no. You know what I mean? Like, you're crazy. Right. It's, it's something, you know, I mean, it wasn't even... Um, Nobody's ever thought about doing something like this, and I don't think everybody, you know, expected that it can happen. But I, I was persistent. What, and I kept doing what, it. Let's get to it. What is the reason, though? What is the reason why film collaboration from different different neighborhoods would be blocked? Tell me more about that. First, um, when you're dealing with gang members, yeah, you know I mean, nobody wants to be on film exposing a lot of things that you're not supposed to be exposing. Right. So. I needed that that element in the film because it was pretty much wrapped around the neighborhoods. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I had to sit back and think of a clever way to incorporate that aspect of like the gang life, but not expose too much, and go into these neighborhoods and tell them like, "Hey, you know, it's it's a story that needs to be told because all the gentrification is occurring in these neighborhoods. We're losing our our home. You right. know what I mean? So." Within a few years, we're all going to be gone, and the people who have passed away for your neighborhood won't have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why it's important that we need to come together and document the story while we still have what we have. Yep. And so this film yeah. incorporates the four corners, and for people Correct. who don't know, who what are the four corners? The four corners are four of the oldest um, Chicano neighborhoods in the West Side. You know, I mean, st- started with like Santa Monica and Sotel, right. West LA, right, and then um, Venice, and then Culver City's the youngest of the four started like in the um late 60s 70s mm-hmm. and this film is attempting or will transcend all of the, all of those four corners to tell the entire story uh, to tell uh, the entire story but still wrapped around the low riding subculture mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. what do you think is low riding subcultures relationship to the four corners it's something that we all see in our neighborhoods i mean we all love low riding you can mm-hmm. low riding is so big it, you know i mean every neighborhood in like the the southwest has low riders i mean mm-hmm. the chicano communities these gang territories you'll see a low rider in every single one of these mm-hmm. territories right so i figured that okay that's a common factor let's use that and mm-hmm. let's build a bridge and get a um a movie going wrapped around the low riding subculture mm-hmm. right and so what's the, what are the perfect cars for making a low ride? I mean, I know a lot of us know the Impala. That's the obvious choice. But do you have any, Charlie, do you have any like insights as to like what, what are some nuanced or interesting yeah, it's, choices? It's funny that you mentioned this because I just had a, um, a talk with a few guys from our shop um, that come to our shop, you know, clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they were asking me, like, you know, you have nice cars. You know, the Chacon family has nice cars. They're like, hey, bro, we might have nice cars, but don't sell yourself short. Your car is nice as well. Mm-hmm. I don't disrespect anybody's car. You know, I mean, if you're a lowrider and you're a true lowrider and you 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 claim to be in a lowrider <clears> community, you're you're here as you know, I mean, a part of a group, a larger group. You don't disrespect anybody's car. You don't 
you know, talk down and say your car is a bucket. You know, you don't have you don't have an Impala. You have a Regal. It doesn't matter. Right. If you have mm-hmm. a car and you're passionate about low riding and you want to build your dream car, I can't shit on your dream. That's right. right. You know what right. I mean? Everybody has a different aspect of what they feel is a low rider to them. So <clears throat> it, that's why it's so broad. You know what I mean? You can't say this is right and this is wrong. Well, what do you look at in terms of, because I'm a truck guy. So like I might like 1957 Chevrolet 3100, right? Like a 1950s. Oh, so you just don't like any truck, right? I mean, I just like, yeah, mm-hmm. I like. Because that's a nice truck. I, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. like for me, I like the low rider truck. I like those old school pickups, right? Right. Those old styles. Are there any, what about you, Steve? Are there any kind of like styles that you like or, or thinking well, like? Well, I mean, when you start talking about the trucks, I love like a, a 59 GMC truck. I right. love the, a little hot ride out. But for um, for low riding, it's like I, I got to always turn to personally Impala's. That's what I like. I like a '62. I like you know. I don't know about that. I've been watching you post a lot of that no. '70 Monte Carlo. No, no, no. no. Uh, so what I was gonna say. So what I was gonna say. So what I was gonna say was this: was that the 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 lowrider that I will purchase. Right. My second car. Yeah. Will be a Monte Carlo, like an '80 '81 Monte Carlo. Train I day. love the train day, bro. I train love day. that car. It fits me. Um, that's what I get down with. So for me, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And then when I was younger, it was not only Impalas I liked. I liked Cadillacs. Sure, like, you know Cadillacs. You know, I and this isn't really. I mean, maybe Charlie, you could tell me it's not really a low rider car, but I like old school fucking uh, Lincoln Continentals. Yeah, that's that's not really a low rider. I car. know. Why isn't that? I mean, it could be a low rider. I see. Oh, I've there seen, are. Seen yeah. yeah. I love a big. For some reason, I love a big ass fucking. You want some suicide doors? That's exactly what I want. I want to be able to. Catch I've seen them at a car show and stuff. Entourage, right? Yeah, I love Lincoln. Sean, what? What's your? Do you have a thought on that? What? It's like a Maxima, or I love uh, <laughs> Maxima. Girl, the little Suzuki like 60, trucks. The little Suzuki Barracuda. I love uh, 68, 69 Nova. Yeah. Uh, 68, 69 um, Cougar. Sean used to have a Nova. What year was that? 69. That was a cool car, man. So, yeah, two classic cars. And some some qualify as low riders, some classic cars. It's great. Muscle car. Muscle car, right? How how about Jesus? What's your favorite low rider? He likes a 64. 64. Right. So, let me. What, Charlie, what's what's your favorite low rider body style? The f- my favorite lowrider body style. Um, I have so many because I like them all. You know, but you yeah, but you're one. on you a desert island you. and you can only have one. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably pick something I never had, which what? is probably like a '38 convertible two door convertible with a rumble seat. Oh, see, he's pulling out some of the That's fucking high yeah, tech shit, dog. I love yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something yeah. I never had. You know what I mean? Or a four door Packard Phantom. You know what I mean? The big long. Damn. Yeah. Something like that. And what are some of the? Have you ever seen? What's the most outlandish or strangest body type lowrider that you've ever seen? Like, have you ever seen someone do a Pinto? <laughs> I've seen it all. I mean, well, I've like, what's some, what's some of the crazier ones? Well, back um, in the early nineties, I seen a a, a nine eleven. Porsche with hydraulics. Lowrider? What? Yes. Damn. That's <clears throat> what do you think about that, Steve? I think that's crazy. I think um, it's crazy. Probably like a 70 or 69 Camaro. I've seen them with hydraulics as well. What okay. Japanese make or model makes the best lowrider, do you think? Like if you had to pick a Japanese one. Well, I would take it back to the um, 90s again, you know, the hard body trucks. 
You know, I mean, that's what Nissans was popular. Nissan, Nissan hard body trucks. You don't see anymore as the low rider trucks and back in the they're, 90s. They're coming back now. Yeah. Cartoon has a few. Yeah. And, and Remember they used to have the truck beds that come up and do all sorts of shit. Yeah. yeah, dude, we used to. They used to. Not only did they do like the lowriders, but they had those trucks so they could do those base contests. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, where the where the whole bed was full of speakers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it would like open up and there'd be like a, a cap on it, and you could take off the 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 cover or whatever, and you'd see all that shit. Yeah. Those were the nineties. You know what I mean? There was a great time to be in the lowrider scene. You know, right. A lot of big sh- um, lowrider like the Super Show. Um, shows out here in LA. You know what, um, Charlie? Give us a little bit of history on on the Chacon family and the lowrider heritage that's gone on in that part of West LA. So my family um, originated from El Paso, Texas. Um, mm-hmm. They migrated from El Paso um, <clears throat> in 1962. Yeah, and they moved to Culver City. Um, <clears throat> they've been there ever since. We still own the house there, still full of cars. Mm-hmm. But I think that whole lowriding. Um, culture was always like in our blood because it stemmed back from El Paso right mm. where my uncle which was my grandma my grandma's brother was into body and paint and he would fix cars up and it's funny because like a few weeks ago I, I got together with all my uncles and my father and um we were watching the cars and it felt like man you know what I mean this is old times like when I was a kid I was watching them all together you know working on cars and they were just talking about how um their uncle, which was my uncle, the one that taught them how to do the, the body and um, paint. Yeah. How he had turned a station wagon into El Camino. And I'm like, you know, they're doing that now. And they're like, yeah, but he was doing that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, right? yeah. And I was like, like That's decades crazy. ago. Decades ago. Man. Turning a station wagon into an El Camino. That's so cool. I mean, that's just, I think that's great. So, moves. so your family came out in El Paso. And back then, what was, what was it like in Culver City? Well, Culver City was, um, you had a lot of Japanese families. I mean, from what I know, the whole, like, West LA and Culver City area had a lot of Japanese families, Why? a lot of Japanese communities. What because was there, like? was, there was Japanese um, uh, ca- camps? C- camps all by Sotel, all running from Sotel. From World War II? Yeah, all underneath the 405 freeway, or not the 405 freeway, but all by uh, Sentinella going down and yeah. by Sotel going down right. and there was a huge population of them. Right. Uh, okay, and so then when the camps were over, they just settled in that area. Yeah, it really, it was like that. That makes sense. That's why Gardena and all those places have a high population of Japanese Americans. Telling you. Right, and so then and so then your family came out there in the, did you say the 60s? The 60s. Yeah. So, you know I mean? I, I can only recall um, from like the 80s, you know what I mean? Because I was exposed to like the neighborhood, you know, when I say the neighborhood, like, you know, the gang. Yeah. Because my, my mother and father were, and my whole family were from Culver City. Right. So, them being young and having a kid at a young age, they, my father had to grow up, you know what I mean? So, he kind of like stood away, but he he was still in the projects. Yeah. And I would be with him, like my mother and, um, him, my mother and my father would argue, and then my dad would take me, you know, drinking in the car, get in the car. We're all hanging on the projects and it's late, you know what I mean? Like, what did you, what would you do? Take someone, because you know what? There's a lot of Gen Z millennial people, but probably have never had the experience of getting in the car with their dad and going for some drinks. Without a seatbelt. Without a (laughs) seatbelt. So, (laughs) lay that all out. How does that really work? So, what would happen? Well, you know what I mean? Like I said, it'll start with the argument at home. Right. You know, my dad will be pissed off and then we leave. He said, come on. And then my mom was like, he ain't going nowhere. Yeah, he's coming with you. <laughs> you know, at the time, you know, I, I believe he had like a 69 Impala. Yeah. 
Um, I remember just getting in the back seat, standing up. You know what I mean? You're right. Little kid, you standing up. Right, right, right. Just looking over the seat. Right. Here we go into the projects. You know what I mean? Right. I can remember it was always like um, foggy. It was nighttime, foggy. It was cold. You know what I mean? Down in that like Venice, yeah, the, Culver the City area, area yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Um, just go into the projects, and then the project itself is kind of dark and eerie, gloomy. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. I mean? So that whole effect was just like it. it you you'll never forget that you know what I mean? as a kid growing up, and then being out there with you know these older guys that I thought they were cool you know what I mean because they showed me love and they they always said hey what's up little Charlie what's up little homie you know what I mean and what would everybody be drinking like what kind of things were they drinking I remember it was the short fat bottles of Budweiser they were like right. stubby little fat yeah. bottles like little yeah. brown ones little brown yeah ones. I know yeah that. little green they look like little barrels little yeah. Barrels. Little That's barrels, right. and they yeah. would be like when they finish it, would line them up all on the curb. Because in the projects, you would hang out in a parking lot, like on the sidewalk. Yeah, from, um, the building, little sidewalk, cars, parking lot, and then you know they'll line up the the empty beer bottles on the curb and stuff like that. And I, there's a few times where I remember as a kid just getting picked up and hearing gunshots, and then being thrown behind a trash can, and just hearing the the bullets just hit the. Um, the wall yeah and i was little i can remember all that so that was just normal for you it became normal yeah and it's kind of crazy to say that it's normal because no kid should see that as normal but that's what was happening around the west side you know that's why we we were so into killing each other because we were immune to the violence you know i mean it was nothing Mm -hmm. it was like an everyday thing right so if it becomes commonplace you don't even see it i think that's why it got so bloody from the 80s on to like 2000. Yeah, it got serious. It got really serious. Mm-hmm. Steve, did you ever, did your dad ever get mad and, and like, cause there's like, there was a period of time where dads would get mad and then grab their son and be like, yeah, yeah, taking yeah. this I shit. Felt, <laughs> felt, I fell into that shit. I think it was more, uh, yeah, a couple times I remember, but I think it was more as my got older, my dad had a girlfriend and they get into an argument. Yeah. And then she'd have no say so. I was coming with him. You know right, what I'm saying? Of course. Yeah. Go on, get up, And I remember sitting. <laughs> Would you look I remember, forward to that? <laughs> Would you be like, ah, oh, shit? I don't, I don't. I don't know if I look forward to it, but I know that I know about like sitting out on Twenty First Street in Santa Monica in the dead end for hours, right? The whole complete days. Why, like, Tootie and Jerry's dad and everybody be out there with the cars? Yeah, everybody's drinking. And smoking cigarettes, and right. telling stories, right? Be like fucking ten dudes out there, and then you know, and maybe if you were lucky, they would give you a fucking five dollar bill to go get some more beer, and you get a couple candies and come right. back. You know what I'm saying? Right. And be trying to sneak a little sip of beer here and there, and right? Playing with the dog, and you know, make yeah. yourself don't like you know. My dad was one of those old schools. Like I don't give a fuck what you're going through. This is what I'm doing, right? So you just sit there and fucking Shut wait up. while I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. You know, that don't even look at me sideways about how long you've been out here. Right. Jesus, did your dad ever get mad at and just say, come on, Jesus, we're getting the fuck out of here? Yeah, a lot of times. Really? Yeah, he was like that. And then yeah. what would you do? You get in there and you guys mm-hmm. would do what? I just sit there. Or if, like if he was doing stuff, you mean? Is I don't know. Like just like these stories, did, I mean, did you do the same thing? Did your dad do the same thing? You guys go drive down the street and drink with a bunch of dudes? Oh, no, no, no. We didn't do nothing like that. <laughs> what, 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 he would just grab you and say, we're out of here. Yeah, we just get the fuck out. I mean, he wasn't really hanging out. He didn't hang out with too many people down there because there wasn't, like, too many Mexicans. Where was this? It was in Oregon. 
Yeah, see, he was in Oregon, man. He was surrounded. Yeah. He was outnumbered. Yeah. Always <laughs> outnumbered. Yeah. <laughs> so Sean, I you, by myself. your dad ever say, like, fuck, no. come on, Sean, let's go. Let's get out of here. No. No? no. Yeah. Shit got better when I, when I reached the age of 10 because then I was able to drive. <laughs> yeah. So would, would you ever you, have to drive your drunk dad? He, he would like, come on, let's go. And then uh, we'll be in the projects and then he'd be fucked up. And then I'll hand you the keys. He's like, I'll drive, you know what I mean? He's driving. I was a little kid just ready to preach. Yeah. And everyone's a trip out there like, that little kid's driving, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was crazy back then. This is where Charlie fell in love with the cars. Hey, man, this I had to drive my drunk dad around a lot yeah. all the time. In fact, we do one time my dad, we went to Rocky Point. And my dad had like a full bottle of like white tequila. I don't know what it is, but it's just clear, right? And and he's just getting really drunk. And he gets drunk enough that he gives me the keys and we're in Rocky Point. How old are you? I'm probably like 17, mm. all right? And my dad goes, hey, let's go to a strip club. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm 17, so part of me is like, "Fuck yeah!" But then the other part of me is like, "Yeah, but it's with my dad." dad yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, but you know, when my dad gets going on something, there's you can't no, get him off it. Oh my god! So you guys are at the strip club? Oh, uh, so we're <laughs> at the strip club with his dad, bro. Dude, listen, it's my it's his true My and my dad's like you know 350 pounds. <laughs> I can't see these two walking to a strip club, bro. He's like hanging on to dad's belt loop in the back. Dad's thinking of me. He's like, hey, Dad, where are you going? Get you a lap dance, boy. Shut up. So it, it's so I'm like 17, and I think my dad is fighting with his wife. And he's like, and we're in Rocky Point, Mexico. And he's like, oh, I'll show that bitch. I'm going to get a lap dance. Man's night. You know, yeah. all this shit, right. right? So I'm like, all right. So. He's like, here's the keys, you drink. So now that I'm driving, and we're, because we're in, in Mexico, he mm -hmm. thinks like, oh, you know, I'll just bring the bottle with me. Right. Right? Yeah. And my dad, he doesn't, he's got like, you know, like a 60 ounce, like big gulp cup that he pours alcohol. He doesn't right. want to unscrew the crap a bunch right, of times. Right. Just one put. So I'm driving around, and we don't know where we're going. We're looking for a strip club. He's like, ah, there's one around here somewhere. And my dad's sitting there, he's got this giant drink, and he's like, ah, ah. And so... You know, we find one, and it's like, it, it, it could have been, you know, like a tiny little corner store. Mm -hmm. Like, it just had a picture of some, like, naked chicks or whatever, <laughs> but other than that, you couldn't tell it was a strip club or not. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, the concrete's, like, broken off, big chunks of concrete mm -hmm. just broken off. Yeah. And we pull in, and it's Thanksgiving. Oh. <laughs> Thanksgiving with Pops at the strip club. Yeah, in Mexico. Yeah. And my dad, we pull in, and my dad's like... All right, and there's like no one in this parking lot. We're the only ones there, uh -huh. right? And then pull in, and my dad gets in, and he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he takes a big swig, and then he just leaves the open container like in the cup holder. We go inside, and this place, it's like dim. You can't even see. It's like, you know, opening into a cavern, and it's empty. So now it's real weird, because there's like just me and my dad, like you said, I'm like holding on to his belt. Yeah. He's like, ah, and we order some beers. He lets me drink a Tecate, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, cool. Now, now we're getting some Tecate. Tecate. And then we sit down, and there's like a one sad, lonely stripper, and she's not even hot. And she's like sitting there, like swinging around, and my dad's, you know, smoking. You got to dance for me, and then you got to do a dance for my son. <laughs> it was 
like Jabba the Hutt. Remember Return of the Jedi? Oh, yeah. And there was like Jabba the Hutt and that little yeah, that yeah, little yeah, dude, yeah. that his little dude hanging out in his tail. Yeah, that was yeah. me. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so we're there, and even my dad, through his drunken haze, gets depressed by this place. He's like, "All right, let's get out of here." So as we're leaving, there's two Mexican. There's a poli- Mexican police car right behind our car. Right, Mexican police, not American police. American police. So I'm driving. My mm. dad's clearly shit faced, mm. and they think my dad's been drinking and driving. Mm. And my they they come in and they go they go, what's going on here? I'm like I'm just driving my drunk dad around to a strip club, mm. and they're like, you're driving? I'm like yeah. I see an open container inside the car, and in my mind I'm like, is it even illegal to drive with an open container in Rocky Point, Mexico? Like is that illegal? I, right. That's not how we make our money. All right. So they open the car, and I mean, they go, we're going to search your car. And my dad's got this giant tumbler, right? <coughs> and the cops are, like, giving us a hard time. <coughs> and they know that they got two gabachos under their thumb. Right. So they're putting a little extra sauce on it. Yeah. And ain't shit I can do about it. Mm-hmm. This is why I feel so much for a lot of people that get fucked around by the police here. Because there, it don't matter how nice I am. Mm. They love this shit, and there ain't shit I can do about it. Right, and I, so I just have to sit there and watch this thing, and I don't know what to do. And he goes, hey, "You got an open container," and my dad goes, "What?" And then he just downs the open container, and he goes, "Now there's nothing." Mm-hmm. And the cops looked at each other, and they go, "This fucker." So they take the entire car apart, right, to pull everything out. They didn't find shit. There was nothing, and I was driving, and they let us put the car back together. Mm-hmm. And then drive home from the strip club. That was my Thanksgiving with my dad when he was like, "Let's go on a night." Crazy, it is crazy. crazy. So you go, so you're you're out there with pops drinking, you and and so how did you know? How did the how, when did the cars really start begin to being built? Like when did the whole tradition really begin out of Culver City? Well, it began way before I even like was born. Right, because when I was like little, I remember my dad having cars already, mm. right. and my uncles having cars. Um, going into the project, like I said, the first thing you know, the thing back then was like, oh, we have a a track with six by nines. You know, what I mean, they open their doors and they'll blast music. You know, what I mean, and that, that music was oldies, pretty. You know, what I mean, always, always oldies, right? Coming out of a lowrider. You know, what right. I mean, so I always fell in love with that. You know, because I mean? it was part of what I was growing up t- watching and seeing. Right. And then, um, you know, moving forward when I got older, you know what I mean? Being from Culver City, you know, I wanted to have nice cars because I wasn't representing my family no more. I was trying to represent Culver City. Right. Like, you know, we're going to have nice cars. Um, then I started seeing that a lot of guys from different neighborhoods would come to my house right in the middle, of, in, right by the projects. You know what I mean? You guys got, uh, you got guys from Sotel, Venice, and um, Santa Monica coming because we had car parts or we had things that needed and back then, there was no um, reproduction parts for these old cars. There wasn't the the Bob's Antique or the shit, um, the car, the truck and car shop in Orange County where you can go and buy these parts now. Right. It was whatever was out there was what was out there. You had to salvage from actual other pretty cars. Much, pretty much. Did you ever have to go to like junkyards and stuff like that? Um, I never had to. We had friends that would go out of state and pick up cars, like four door cars. And I remember in the early 90s, there was no replacement floor. So if a car was rot, it had rot and it was rotten, you would have to go and get a donor car. So I remember my Uncle Gabby fixing this um, 
62 convertible, 62 Impala convertible, and there was nothing there. It was all rot. It was all rot. And I was like, wow, you know, be like, how's he gonna pull this shit off? Right. right. And then I watched him cut a four door car out, the <laughs> floors, put the floors on. <clears throat> Weld them on. Then, yeah, and this car was black and like, holy shit, with hydraulics, like, this shit's going to fall apart, you know what I mean? Yeah. When Once they hit that switch, and he's like, no, you know, he's like, they, they originally built a certain way. All you got to do is build it the way it was built, you know what I mean? Just do everything in reverse, cut everything out, and then start doing the process back again, piece by piece. Right. And that car came out badass. Man. And, this, and the floor was just completely gone. And he put in was, a brand new one from no a, floors. There was no floors. No, it's crazy. And now you can go pick up floors that you know prefabricated. Right. You know, just cut them out, put them right in. Probably just them, cut, trim a little bit. But back then, it was we didn't have that luxury. Right. Man, what don't people understand about restoring cars? What is it that most people get wrong? They do it for the money. I think they do it for the money. I mean, when you do it, like, because you're passionate about it and you love it, the build is a lot different. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. So, like, the intention and where your heart's at when you're building the car reflects, is reflected in the car itself. That's just like anything in life. You right. Know I mean? When yeah. you're doing something, yeah. um, do it to your best ability. Do it. To, I mean, well, growing mm-hmm. up, my father was into construction, right? Mm-hmm. One of the lessons he taught me was, like, don't be lazy. You know what I mean? Like, he he always told me, like, do things like you're doing it for yourself. You right. know what I mean? Even if you're doing it for free. Right. Have some pride in it. Take some pride in it. Right. Right. And so did, have you ever restored a car yourself? Have you ever built one up from the ground up or whatever? Um, a few of them. A few of them. Um, I built a 64 from the ground up. You know what I mean? Um, that was probably the first one that I did on my own. Mm. <clears throat> How old were you when you... when you... This was um, probably like at least 10 years ago. Okay. I mean, I... When I say build, I mean completely take the whole frame off. Like right. Before, I would just get clean cars, you know, um, do a little bit of paint on it, you know, change a little few parts that need to be changed, and that was it. Call it a day. Right. But as far as getting into a full build, you know, I I just recently, not even um, 10 years ago, it's not too long, you know what I mean? If you're in it, in the um, the culture for years, people have been doing it for 30, 40 years. Right. And those those guys are old school guys. Tell me about the feeling difference between driving in a car or riding in a car that you kind of just fix the paint on, and a car that you know that you built from the ground up. Well, yeah, there's two different feelings because when you have an original car that you really didn't do anything to, it's like, man, I got an original car, you know, unmolested. Right. This mm-hmm. this has story behind it. I mean, they both have stories, but this one is. Hasn't been passed around a lot, you know what I mean? Right. It's probably just, I've um, been like one or two owners, so you're like, probably like closer to the original owner than anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that feeling of driving that car is a whole different feeling than look at what I built. Right. Right. That's amazing. So then, mm-hmm. what were some of the biggest obstacles to making West Los the documentary? Like, what, what has been some of the biggest challenges for you? In the beginning, I mean, it was always the beginning. I mean... Just to get it off the ground and go and speak to these guys from different neighborhoods yeah. was a mission in itself. Mm-hmm. Who was the first group you talked to? Um, I talked to guys from Santa Monica. And when you go to talk to them, I mean, did you have a pitch or like were you nervous? Like how did it go? I wasn't nervous. I just didn't know how to approach it. You know what I mean? Like it was still fresh. It was new. So my idea wasn't really like 
this is what I want exactly what the movie's going to be about because it was still developing as I, I went because I originally wanted to do a documentary film where I've got kids from these four neighborhoods you know coming into a shop working on this car and building one car together right that, that was how it started originally that makes but then sense my uncle Gabby said you know think about it it's a liability if they get hurt in a shop yeah you know we're gonna get in trouble right so I kind of like was changing my mind this guy discouraged you know what I mean like yeah you know you're right you know there's nothing I can do about that so I said how am I gonna tell the story and where's it gonna go here from here and now you know what I mean mm-hmm. like what direction so I started only seeing the gentrification aspect you know what I mean so let me include that as well because that in itself is a story that needs to be told because yeah. we're in a, we're we're living in a um, community that's changing rapidly mm-hmm. how so well, we have people that with money coming in, buying properties up. Um, you have like doggy daycare where a liquor store used to be, you know what I mean? Like developers stuff, coming stuff in. Stuff that money. we don't that doesn't serve our community. To us, yeah. You know what I mean? What do you say to people because I, I, I understand what you're saying and then there's uh, there's criticisms of this this position. What's the response to people who say like, Yeah, but doggy daycare is healthier than a liquor store? Well, it's where, where were you at when things were happening in the neighborhood violence you know what I mean like right. all of a sudden now you want to come in and say this liquor store is bad for you yeah what are you saying with that talk more about that that's an interesting because it's thought. like nobody really cared about these neighborhoods mm-hmm. you know what I mean nobody mm-hmm. cared I mean let them kill each other right they never cared you know what I mean but once somebody seen what we had you know what I mean as far as like the land location the location it's like they got something here you know what i mean so now they wanted to come and change things and now they want to say this is bad you know what i mean right they could have put in a doggy daycare back in the 90s if they wanted to right they live there and and actually put some energy and some sacrifice some of their own time karen never lived in the neighborhood until yeah karen never. that's right well let me ask you this what about the the concept um the criticism that some people say is that well that's the american way you got money, you can buy whatever the fuck you want. That's how America works. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, you're an American Indian. How well, they didn't feel? buy our shit, they, but they pretty much kicked you out. Same thing, pretty much. Just using money. Well, yeah. Why can't? Why isn't it the American way, Charlie? Why? Why isn't it the American way? If there, if somebody, if some rich person named Karen wants to come in and just buy up all the Abbott Kinney and turn it into fucking nails, uh, what, whatever stupid boutique shops they want, why can't they? Why can't they? Because they they didn't deal with the suffering that that location like carried for many years. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. People died in those neighborhoods. Right. It's like sacred sacred ground. You know what I mean? There's been bloodshed there. That's and and I think too on another on another aspect of it is like they want to come down and knock down everything. Correct. And rebuild it cookie cutter. So you're taking our character. You're taking our culture and you're erasing it. Not like you're coming in and saying, all right, well, this is that. Let's expound on it. Let's refurbish it and clean it up. No, there's no talk of that. It's get rid of it. And let's turn it into something that has nothing to do with this community. Right. This is about the new community that's coming in. And we got a bunch of poodles. Right. And we want them groomed. And I don't see any one of those businesses coming to these kids that need jobs. Yeah. 
And this is something, this is something that I would see and that, listen, man, when I was living in San Francisco, this is something that I saw up there that I didn't see here. And in San Francisco, just, I'm just going to take, for instance, there was a part of the Mission District right. where they were knocking down a Rite Aid and a swap meet. They were knocking this down and they had the pictures of this new big um, condo. Huge right. going up. Right. And I remember seeing it, seeing it, and I get there one day to that corner because I was going to go do some shopping, and there's a thousand people out with picket signs. Okay. And they got petitions and all sorts of stuff. And they're like, you know what? If you guys are going to build this place, you're going to give 20% of the apartment spaces yeah. to people that can afford them. And there was like a Starbucks and a, 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 a I don't know, Walgreens and like all that stuff. And they were demanding that they hire all the employees out of that neighborhood. Right. If they're going to move forward. And there was people picking it like, and they got this done. Like they got all that done by a thousand people being out there. And I think that like, that's some of what didn't happen. Would you agree with me, Charlie? Here on, on the West side. And I'm talking about from Culver city, Venice, Santa Monica, West LA, I, nobody stood up and said and got together and said, no, you can't remove this mural. You can't. And I think that on the, on, and I'm just going to speak for yeah. the four corners. Yeah. Side. I think that we're kind of starting to do that a little bit now, but this is the importance of a film like this that gets to tackle a lot of this subject matter because yeah. it, it's like by the time we stepped up, most of it was already moved. Well, it's it's difficult in Los Angeles, and it's difficult. You know, organizing is difficult. I mean, it just doesn't happen like it used to happen, like in the '60s and stuff, because there's just so many distractions, so many, so much time lost to trying to earn a living, so much time lost to um, other walls or other um identity identity things that people have invested so much time in that it's hard for them to come together to in a mass protest say hey you know you're not going to do that to abby isn't King. that part of what how it's society and the government set it up they want to get you real busy on a bunch of other little bullshit things so that you really can't get together to pay attention to what's going on <sighs> no no it's not actually mm. it, it, yes y recently no, historically. Okay. Yes, recently. No, historically. Historically, um, you first of all, you had, you know, let's start with the, the sort of the 60s going backwards. Everybody had a lot more downtime. There right. was a lot more downtime built into the system. Right. And that downtime allowed people to really attend churches where there were really great speakers who would really tell you, like, if we want to really take back the government, we can. And you can go back and look through history and you can see veterans, like in the 1900s. You can see uh, women, right, who would just get together and they would shut down. They, would, they had veterans that would go because the government wasn't paying VA benefits. Mm -hmm. The veterans, like in the 1900s, we're talking about people. We're talking about people who fought in wars in 1800s that would deserve a pension, like real wars. I'm right, not saying right, the new right. ones aren't civil wars, but shit. I'm talking like you know where you bayoneted the guy and you gutted him right in front yeah, of you. Yeah, right. Yeah. You got like gangrene in one toe. Hand and to still hand. Serious shit, right? And a lot of widows. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people died just because medicine wasn't that good in the Civil War. Those guys went and fucking camped out in all the parks around White House and Washington, D.C. So you got to imagine, you've got like a thousands of war veterans pitching tents and living week by week by week in mm. the nation's capital, demanding something like, change. Something changed, and some shit did change. And all that shit that changed, right, when we get them around to the 60s, now we talk about what you observe, Steve, which is seems like now things are kind of set up more to kind of make it even harder for everyone, and that's absolutely right. From the 60s on forward, wages stayed the same. As everything else got more expensive, wages stayed the same, so people had to work even harder. Benefits went out the window. Um, You had conservative groups trying to just fucking... They can't kill Social Security in one punch because they know there's just too many old people that'll be upset about it. Then it ain't going to happen. So they try to kill all the benefits, welfare, assistance, all that stuff with tiny little cuts here, there, everywhere. So you can barely notice that it's getting weak until at some point in the 80s and the 90s and the aughts, you realize, I don't got shit. I got to work every day. I don't have a savings account. They're claiming it's because I eat avocado toast. But the truth is, I'm not getting paid enough to save money, really. Mm -hmm. Right? Consumerism business takes over. And the next thing you know, people in the Four Corners area or any of those areas, right? A lot of those folks all of a sudden find themselves without a retirement. And then comes a rich person says, tell you what, I'm going to give you a $750,000 lump sum payment right now. Sell me your fucking history. And you do, because that's what you got to do. And that's what's crazy, because um, <clears throat> I work at, at a restaurant, and um, I see young kids from across the country come, and they want to you know, look for a career, and this Hollywood dream in, in L.A. Right. So they come and work as servers, you know, and I'm just tripping out just hearing their story. And then um, I said, where are you staying at? They're like, well, I'm paying $2,500 for one bedroom. I said, damn, that apartment I remember I had friends that lived there. They paid like six hundred dollars. Right. It's like, where did the leap come from? You know. Right. Part of the leap came from the amount of money that got thrown into tech. Tech came through San Francisco and Silicon Beach, and because a small group of people were able to afford some really high rents, uh, the the, and there was a competition for all that. Rent went way up. And that's one thing I want to make clear right here, right now. It's not Silicon Beach. It's the West Side. Right. Because I've been watching um, or seeing, I should say, signs saying, welcome to Silicon Beach. Ah, fuck that. This is not Silicon Beach. Fuck all It'll that. never be Silicon Beach. Mm-hmm. Man. That's so true. I mean, who came through? Google's down there? All of them. Google, Amazon. I Snapchat, I think. Dude, I just mm-hmm. saw YouTube. a picture. I just saw a right. picture. What? Riot Games. Mm. Riot Games. I just saw a picture of, um, it made me sick to my stomach. Who's the guy that uh, that owns Facebook? Zuckerberg. I just saw a photo of Mark Zuckerberg, okay? And he's surfing in fucking Hawaii. And you know he owns a huge amount of real estate in Kauai, Right? And he's wearing so much fucking sunscreen that he looks like a fucking mime. 
right? Mm-hmm. right? And he's surfing and he's wearing one of those fucking beat the sun shirts that these and there's helicopters and other security all around him while he's what? Sur- yes. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, at one time at one fucking time this area used to be run by fucking Hawaiians. The motherfuckers who invented surfing. You probably mm-hmm. could even surf at that beach. Right. I'm telling you, like, go, think about what it would mean to be a true. That's why he had the security around him, because he didn't want the hooey and all them dudes fucking getting at him. I'm telling you right now, I thought about that, and I'm like, to me, sometimes a guy like Zuckerberg, maybe he shouldn't even be allowed to surf, because think about what kind of person it took. Think about the, the originals, the OOG Hawaiians, Polynesians, Samoans, whatever, right? Somebody was looking at fucking water and was thinking, like, you know it would be cool? Think about what it would take to imagine, like, we should get a piece of wood and put it in the, in the water and let the wave carry it and see if I could stand on it. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And think about that before styrofoam. Think about that before a fiberglass. Think about, think about what it would take to have that kind of imagination and adventure spirit to put that together. <clears throat> and then find out later that some rich kid out of fucking Harvard mm-hmm. is going to just use money and just take up that whole space. And he's trying to block the sun from his body while he's doing it because he can't survive. You're an idiot. Fucking drives me. It just drives me insane. You're an idiot. That's how I feel about this documentary. Right. Right. So, so, so first challenges is, was like trying to get people engaged. Right. Then as the, so also let's talk to some of the young documentary filmmakers out there. What else should a young filmmaker who's got a great idea, right? They got a iPhone, right? Right. But what do they not see? What, what are some of the challenges for a young filmmaker? I think, the challenges for a young filmmaker will be your own restrictions. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Meaning, mm-hmm. like, if you think that you can't do it, mm-hmm. you're not going to do it. But right. if you keep telling yourself you're going to do it, it, it's taking me six years and I'm still not done. Right. right. And they told me that I wasn't going to be able to do it, but I'm progressing still. You know, right. I mean? I'm moving forward. And, and as I'm doing it, more doors open and they're opening on their own. Right. So something that wasn't supposed to be done or couldn't be done is happening. Right. And I never believed in my I never believed that I couldn't do this. Right. So then what about what about when you're making a documentary film, what about what is something that's happened that you didn't anticipate? Buying my own cameras. I never thought I would buy my own cameras. Right. Because I wanted to make a film but I wanted to be the director and have somebody else pay somebody else to film for me. Right. But I ran into problems like that because I trusted somebody to film and um i wasn't hip to the legal aspect of the game right where i let this person run off with my film right so there's a lot to learn you know i mean one thing i I did learn was like cover your ass right legally right and then what about uh what kind of cameras did you buy well i started with the osmo you know i mean the little um osmo which is like an action camera yeah um, one of our partners, um, Miguel Rama, yeah, told me, hey, you know, get this camera. It's a little expensive. It's $1,000, but it'll be good. You know what I mean? Started off with that. It was cool for a while, but it, it didn't it didn't give me the look I wanted. Right. So I um, invested um, 
saving money, invested into a better camera, a little bit better camera. What camera was this? This is a back Black Magic Pocket Cinema, right? Which is not the best, but it it does well for a documentary film, right? And if I really want a good camera, you're talking about like twenty grand, right? So I'm I'm still saving, you know what I mean? But I'm still learning at the same time, right? So. Steve, what surprised you? You you you're part of the team. What is there anything surprised you about this process uh in documentary filmmaking or what have you learned? A couple of things. And one thing's about what I've learned because as we approach as we approach as a team and the film approaches post production, yeah. we're all reviewing footage. And I think that I mean, on a couple of occasions as we've kind of approached this, man, me and you have kind of looked at each other. Yeah. At some of the natural talent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's me. (laughs) I got a bag of popcorn over there. The natural or natural ability of these shots that Charlie was taking. Yeah. uh, Cinematically. Right. And this was like. Okay, we know Rama's going to shoot something a certain way. Because he's a cinematographer. He's a cinematographer. Right. Right? So we expect it from him. But as we start looking at this footage, you, you just, Charlie has just like a natural gift on how to shoot different panoramic, different ways, bro. Like the lifestyle. So it really, you can see I remember Charlie's that. inspiration through what he shoots. I remember that day when we went and reviewed just the pickup shots and stuff that right. Charlie had. And mm-hmm. they were so, ex- they were so good that we fucking charged out of there. Mm-hmm. Like I fucking jumped down the stairs. I'm like, this is going to be a fucking big tittied hit. So I think as I saw the trailer and as all the, pieces and players come together um there was a there was like uh like this like charlie's gonna make this film no matter what right it was already being made as we got to it was already being made but another thing is this is that i remember having a very conscious talk with charlie and we talked in depth and that was like before we ended up before we came along to the project charlie was like and we were talking charlie was like Bro, I've been hit with this deal, that deal. I've had this guy try and take footage, that guy. And he's like, dude, my biggest problem right now isn't the film. It's who do I trust? How do I not get fucked out of this film one way or the other? Like, I have to. But he was also at a place where he's like, he realized I need to trust somebody because we need to take the next step. Right. And what that kind of said to me was like, I validated that because a million people can see that project and they're already they've got an agenda of how they're going to take it or work it or do this and that right and i would think that when you have a baby that you've poured your heart into in the story you want to get out in this town there's a real good chance you could lose it you could sign something over and the next thing you know it's pulled out from under you right and that was the next a, thing you know emilio estevez is making it exactly and you're not man. even and, supposed to look at him and and charlie was like Charlie just wanted to be able to do this project and tell his story without getting robbed. And that's pretty fucked up, bro. That, you know, and you don't know who to, he had already experienced some things. So I think that's something that people don't think about with the, until you already got beat, until you've already lost something. Right. But getting into it, it's like, who do you trust, man? And how do you put these deals together? It becomes more complex because I'm dealing with the street. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I were to sell this film back then, 
or would have sold it to somebody for money, yeah, I would have been going against what I believed in. You know, right. me, my my belief was I'm gonna make a film for these neighborhoods, for the West Side, not right. for me, not for the credit, not for fame, because I think we need to tell our story. So right. this is not my story. This is their story. So why am I gonna profit off of their story? Right. You know what I mean? I I I could have sold a film a long time ago for sixty grand. Right. You know because somebody approached me like, hey. You're doing something that I've always wanted to do, but I wasn't. I didn't have the access like you did, or you do. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so that in itself told me a lot that people trust me. You know what I mean? So they believed in me. Right. And you don't want to sell that out. Not only that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like Lucky was saying, we had conversations and we had disagreements. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we all had. And people, people, it, if people think the filmmaking business is a happy rough. tea party, it it's a rough. fucking rough. And right? we have, we have collectively. This right. team, yeah, we have gone through it, yeah, a- and as you're supposed to, we go through things, and man. I think it had a lot to do with trust, of course. Mm-hmm. The sure. last, the last argument, Lucky and I had, he ended was like, "You got to trust your team," right? And that's where I like, why do I have a team when I'm trying to control everything, right? So it's like, let them play their roles, let them do their their part, and believe in my team, right? So that's where I've been. That's why I've been more laid back. You know what I mean? I think I'm just more excited because the film is starting to come to an end. You know what I mean? So that's the most important time that we need to come together. Part of the lesson that I've I've learned from what we've been working through together is also, it's becoming more clear to me that filmmaking is about patience. Like it's, it, you got a lot of people that want to like make a film and they want to do it over the weekend. And you've heard mm-hmm. a story about like Werner Herzog who just did a bunch of fucking speed and then just made a film in 48 hours and it sold gangbusters. But the reality is some of your favorite films that you love have been floating around for decades and it takes whatever it takes to make it in um, sometimes it's better to do something right than it is to do it fast. And it, this project is evolving on its own. It goes in so many different directions, and it's, sometimes it's hard to contain because mm-hmm. I want to do everything that that is opening up to me. You know what I mean? The access, right. like different, um, the storyline. I mean, the storyline itself changes. You know what I mean? We sat to, we sat in the office a few times in in the um, shop going over a storyline when the storyline was always there. Right. You know what I mean? We didn't really have to do much tweaking. Right. Over, overthinking it. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we sat back. We started looking at footage. We're like, man, it's going in this direction. Let it go in that direction. I think that we have to acknowledge, because it's like one of my favorite parts of this process, is that this film is so real that it's actually being developed at your uncle's car shop. Correct. Right? And I love that place, man. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. I mean, you go there. And you walk around and... You just know you're somewhere real important when you're in that shop, dude. Like, like, there's a lot of fucking important shit in there. That's and, what I know. And you walk around and like it's just wall-to-wall cars. And like old cars, classic cars, whatever, inside, outside. Bro, there's and an, the uh, crazy thing is this. Here's right. the crazy thing about yeah. it. Is that all those cars are tied to somebody. So if you spend enough time that's in that in place, shop. bro... That's just that's Uncle Gabby in the background. Yeah. Work, yeah. It's like nowhere else. Like, I see one of my homeboys just pop up right. to check out his shot, his, his to take out his check, his his uh, his truck. Then I'll see uh, Charlie's <laughs> homies coming in and out of there from Culver City. Who was that? Then guy somebody. With, who was that guy with the wingtips? 
Birdman. No, Birdman. Oh, Bird. Birdman was Bahal. in there. You see some crazy. But listen, no, I'm saying different people are coming in to check on the rides. Then I'll see like what another one of my homies. Then I'll see like some older cat from Venice or some younger. And it's like, bro, it's, if you just stand around, all the, you'll see a cop come in for his car. A cop. Yeah. So it's like this thing is like the epicenter. For so much stuff that's going on. And if you like, spend a whole day there, yeah. you're going to touch base with a gang of different people that are coming in and out. Yeah. One of the things, one of my favorite things at the shop is, I don't know who the guy is, but he's that big white dude. Billy? I love yeah, that guy. Billy. Billy like the he, Sloth? Yeah, he yeah. is too, because you'll come out and he'll just be laying on the, full on lay down, right? And he'll just be like sanding like a little thing on the side and of the have like pot. a chicken wing in one hand yeah, and some sandpaper in the right, other. Right, like stuffed crust pizza in that one guy. hand. I love that. That guy's the best, man. That guy cracks me up. Um, who else is over there? What? Well, no, but Birdman, because I, I think that's funny because I don't know who this guy is. We're sitting there in the production <laughs> office, right? There's maps on the wall. Mm. We got fucking monitors up and we're doing all this other mm. stuff. And this guy just walks in like he's known me forever, dude. And he's with a pair of wingtips. Right, with a pair of real shiny wingtips. <laughs> What was that about? What was he saying about the wingtips? I don't you know. You got to tape them off and <laughs> doing a lot of stuff. And Steve yeah. and I are sitting there talking to him for like, it seemed like 45 minutes while I was explaining wingtips and how to break bread. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of different people and a lot of different reasons people are there and playing different positions. And everybody's got their own little story. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and then, so, and then what's cool is like, there's the second floor where the production office is, and then there's like a wall of windows where you can oversee the shop the below. The shop, yeah. Right. So, and is that where Uncle Gabby like makes his plans and he oversees everything? He's, he's never in the in the office. He's always on on the, floor, the ground floor. On the floor. Yeah. I mean, putting everybody up on speed. My uncle Gabby was diagnosed with cancer. Right. So he's going through a, a rough time right now. But did that slow him down from working on cars and stuff like that? Physically, it didn't slow him down, but mentally, I could see it that it's it's bothering him. You know? right. right. But again, you know, when you're faced with cancer, it's gonna take a little toll on you mentally. Sure, of course. Of course. Did he uh, stop drinking Coca-Cola? Uh, no. No. Did no. he stop smoking cigarettes? No. Uh, no. <laughs> Dude, I love Uncle Gabby because I don't think I've ever seen that guy wear anything but the t-shirt, jeans. Coca-Cola and cigarettes. I mean, the guy is, he never changed. That's just, that's who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it goes back to, you know, the 60s. You know what I mean? You had your white t-shirt, your khakis. Right. Your that's it. Right. Yeah, you know what, man? I tell you, I tell you something, man. I'm going to say this right now. And this is not, and this is something you, you and Gabby were talking about. Like, it, it got to be all dark colors. Yeah, keep it, yeah, where you can just, uh, you, know, you can work in a dirty <laughs> shop. You got to have all navy blue on or black. You know? Right. But um, Gabby, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that everybody can relate to this, okay? Yeah. You go somewhere where it's your buddy's uncle or their elders or whatever, and that person takes the time to make sure that you're all right. Right. That you've got what you need. Right. They go out of their way. Right. Bro, every time I go to Gabby's shop, hey, bro. Going on, lucky sit down, bro. You want a cigarette? Hey, you want something to drink? Right. You want this? What's going on with you? Like eye to eye, really out of concern. Sits down and talks to me. So what's going on? So yeah. we, we chop it up for a while. Yeah. But I could see Gabby at Santa Monica in the parking lot, or like when we had the whole parade thing at, and he got 
all these people, bro, yeah. on him. Right. This, that. And he's like, we got the meat over there. We got and then I come walking up, and the guy was like, hey, come Hey, bro. And take me to the front of the line of all the carne asada. Hey, get taco. You want you drink, dude? You want to sit here? He every time I see Gabby, yeah. he goes out of his way to come take a talk and a walk with me and make sure I got what I need or introduce me and make sure that I'm comfortable wherever I'm at with that guy. Right. And that means like people don't do that, bro. Like, hey, it's me- real old school, traditional. Right. A lot of respect, man. And and he's just. He's like that, man. So it's like I got a big soft spot for Gabby, man, because he he kind of like treats me as if I were almost like his little brother or his son or something, right? You know? Yeah. Um, hey, let me ask you a question: Is there any chance that we can do like an in-depth show with Gabby? Oh yeah, he's always done. What do you think about that, Steve? What do you think about having? I love he, he, he's very fond of you. He likes. He's I love asking, Uncle Gabby. Where's Chumahan? He's like, oh, I like that guy. He's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He always asks about you every time without fail. Yeah. So with Chumahan. Yeah, I love that guy. Um, he and I. And the cool thing about Gabby is he's not like a politician type. He's just who he is, and somehow you know people I, just congregate. He he told me he was talking to me. He was telling me he's he's fascinated with the whole native culture. The yeah. Native so when I told him you were a Native American, he was like, oh, we're, bring him to the shop. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the first time he came in. He was all hey. excited to meet you. Uh, I was just saying it's dope to hear all this because where I grew up, there was no lowriders. There was what? nothing like that. Yeah. So I, I where did wait. you grow up again? It was in Central Oregon. Cause Central I, Oregon. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, I was in California as a little kid. Yeah. But where in my, California? Beaumont. Okay, I don't Beaumont. know where that is. Where's Beaumont? I know it's like uh, we don't really know much about like, Beaumont right yeah, now. Yeah, it's like where is it? Like river, over by Riverside, kind of. Oh, like okay. Bending. Okay. Beaumont. Okay. Yeah, my uncle has a restaurant out there. But okay. anyways, uh, yeah, it's just crazy to hear all this history with the lowriders because there was no lowriders. Every once in a while, pop, one would pop up over in Bend, Oregon. Right. But not not too much. It's funny so. you say that because somebody posted or tagged me a long time ago, like when I first started this documentary. Yeah. And they were in Oregon. Right. Really? Yeah. There's Dude, some, you talk there's about. some in Portland, <laughs> but. Don't let stop. We're all riding all the way. Watch. Who was that? Some guy. Some random guy. <laughs> Ripping from Culver City. We're close. We're putting it on the map. Even though we're up here in Oregon. Crazy, bro. What's his hand up on cue? Yeah, there's some in Salem. I know there's some in Salem and Oregon. But that's crazy, bro, that he has that. He he grew up in Culver City. He moved to Oregon. He's low riding out there. Yeah. But it's Culver City right here in Oregon. That's funny. (laughs) Um, You know, another thing is, you know, another thing that's trippy about Gabby is like, I talk to so many people, bro. Yeah. And now let me just tell you something. Yes, we can say the Chicano community. I'm going to say above and beyond. Right. I talk to white boys yeah. and brothers. Yeah. And when Nat, Gabby's name comes, he's like, bro, so, so, and they sent me to Gabby. Uh, they sent me to Gabby. Sent me for this, for that, for that, all this stuff. And a lot of times, I'm like, so what ended up happening? They're like, well, Gabby, he turned me on to this dude. Or Gabby m- maybe didn't have that, mm. but he's like, he found it for me. He turned me on to this guy. And Gabby's like a real... That guy's a connector, too. Right. You know how you talk about connectors? Yeah, you're a connector. Yeah. And so is Gabby, though, man. Gabby, like, at the top of his head, be like, I got a guy in Limwood that does the copper wiring shit. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. Like, bam, like that. He's like, oh, I know Joe's sister's cousin's brother. 
uh, does the dipping of the aluminum, all the aluminum and chrome you know dipping. Part, like, of the, part of that is part of part of being a good connector is um, it's not the entire thing because you got to have the capacity to make those connections in your mind, right? It's like, but also part of it is I think just having a long history in it one is. area. It's, a- not, it's not only cars, right? I mean, if you yeah, want to look for right. a refrigerator, you yeah, know yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. I like that because I was gonna say that it's only living in air, but I know somebody. <laughs> if you're looking for some birds at a low price, <laughs> you got to. <laughs> he did ten years. <laughs> <laughs> but I was gonna say was that like it's not just about being in the same place for a long time because I know a lot of guys that lived in the same place for a long time they can't connect you to shit. Right. But part of it is having the ability to pick that up. But you must have. And I think too. You got to remember too, in that car business, you're you're dealing with like like how Cartoon talks about that business. He dealing with everybody in that business. You're dealing with big dope dealers. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with actors. Right. You're dealing with right. athletes. Right. You're dealing with law enforcement. You're dealing right. with so you get all that. And who do they want to be friends with? The right. guy that's fixing the guy that's building their car. You're gonna throw all your Shazam and all your right. Absolutely. You're on good terms. Whoever's building your lowrider, yeah, that's the guy you want the really good relationship. You with. don't want to have bad fucking mojo between you and the guy. You that's might bring a few presents with you when you come right, by, right? Exactly. So you've got the central guy who is that guy, yeah, who's getting all that, right? So for a guy like Gabby's, like I call my boy with Dodger Stadium, boy, I may have yeah. some some. some, some seats for you yeah or yeah i got that you know what i'm saying like and the genius thing about that now that you're speaking like like i know uncle gabby he didn't think of it this way he just loves cars and he's just doing what he's doing mm-hmm. but from the outside you could look at him and be like you know classic cars and lowriders are always going to need some kind of maintenance or whatever so not only is it just when you get the car back that relationship no you want that relationship to endure could, because you need help everybody's the bringing their cars back Right, right. That's for you. You bring right. it back. It's like this a fucked up. This is getting old, bro. I want to do this. I saw that. Can we do this? It's like this? a doctor. When, right before you go into right. surgery, hey doc, listen, I got a Rolex, that, an extra Rolex. I want to give it to you. I I'm mean, when I, when I tell the listeners, when I'm trying to explain to you guys, the Chacon family, right? It's not just the four corners. Like you go anywhere in the four corners, you can say Charlie's name, they right? Know. But you say Chacon and come out with Gabby and the cars. Everybody, but it's far beyond that. I remember going to Pomona Fairgrounds and fucking Central California, and like, and Ch- the Chacon family name is known, bro, in the lowrider community. Right. It's that big, right? I don't think it's. I mean, it has something. I mean, something to do with Gabby and my family themselves. You know what I mean? The connection, not just the cars, mm-hmm. right? It's you know what I mean the personality, right? Mm-hmm. They're drawn to. So you can have the baddest cars. But you can have the baddest attitude, so people should sure. be like, sure. "Fuck that dude!" Absolutely, right. absolutely. The fact that they want to bring his right. name up, right, and have a conversation about it, and he everybody was... kind of feels like they have. Here's here's the key. This is to the knowing. genius. This is the genius. Right. Each person I meet feels like they have a special a relationship. special relationship. That is. Not something everybody can do on this planet. Trust me. No, that's a real, by the way, that's a real charisma. I was talking to somebody mm-hmm. who uh, know, knew uh, Robert Kennedy, mm-hmm. right? And they were saying like, yeah, and you know, I met him and we had a talk and he was so interested and it felt like I had a real special relationship. And then they were like, and then I realized, holy fuck. He, that's what he does. That's who he is. Every person that comes into his orbit feels like they have a special relationship. And, and that's how Gabby you have that charisma. Everybody has a story about Gabby that they want to share right. with me. 
Right. When I mean them. Right. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that supersedes a lot of things. Right. You know, and yeah, he's, as, as life, life dictates and is dictating some of this film. Right. And how it's going. Right. Um, In the middle of filming it, we had yeah. some things happen. A, a number, a number of things, Charlie. Things, it's like you had odds stacked up against you from the gate, right? And as you overcome some of those, you're met with another mountain of odds and different things that are sometimes working against you, right? You know, but again, this film, I believe, was meant to be made, I mean, right? Because mm-hmm. as much 100%. as people say, or much as many obstacles stacked against me, yeah. They overcome. I mean, I don't even have to do things for them to overcome. They just do it on their own. Right. And it's like, I only make a minimal effort of trying. I mean, at the beginning, I was trying a little bit harder. Yeah. But as it progressed, people were volunteering. Like, you know what? I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm going to make it happen. Right. Um, And that happened with Cranky. Right. You know what I mean? When I reached out to Santa Monica. Big shout out to Cranky. Big shout out to Crispy Notes. Yeah. Crispy Crispy Notes. (laughs) Yep. Um. Yeah, so when I started this film, I approached the guys from, um, well, I had a, a, fam- a family member that was, you know, she had family from Santa Monica. She grew up in Santa Monica. I asked her, can she reach out to, you know, anybody that is in the neighborhood that would like to talk to me about this film, this idea I have about making a film. She said, I'll get, I'll get a hold of somebody. She got me a hold of Huicho. Mm-hmm. Huicho, he's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a, in contact with Oscar. And it kind of led, like, to a dead end, you know what I mean? Because it didn't go as far as real street credible people, you know what I mean? Like people in the neighborhood that were into gangbanging. Right. Um, I think Oscar was the one who put me into contact with Cranky. Right. And it was kind of like conversation back and forth. He was trying to fill me out like, what is it you want? What is it you're trying to do? Come meet me. And I met him um, in Buyo. Was that the first time you met Cranky? First time I met Shout Cranky. out to Buyo. What's it like to meet Cranky on the, for the first time? Like, well, you got to you... remember, I only know Cranky as being somebody from Santa Monica. Right. You know what I mean? Because when you're at war with people, like, you know who's who. Right. You know what I mean? You know who you're looking for. You know what I mean? You want to get the top person, like the one they got Feather the Feather in the cap. Right. And his name was always mentioned. You know what I mean? It was Cranky. And there was other people. But- he had a name that held weight in right. the neighborhood, you know what right. I mean? And that's just from what, I, I mean, I'm not from Santa Monica, you know what I mean? But from being from Culver City, I knew, I knew names, you know what I mean? Right. So when I heard his name, I said, okay, I'm, I'm really talking to somebody that's- Really doing it. In yeah. the neighborhood, involved right. with the neighborhood. And we, we hit it off, you know what I mean? We started Where talking did you guys, did you guys meet at a cafe? And you- we met at the, um, the Friday Night Cruises. Five years ago, six right. years ago, up on uh, Station Twenty Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Twenty Five Twenty Six in the parking lot. You know, we, you know, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, let's get into this for a second, because a lot of guys that I know, like, in part of my job as being an attorney, right. I have to talk to lots of different types of people, right? And I got to be able to meet them, look them in the eye, have a conversation, not patronize them, but also not be too subservient, like all that shit, right? right? And a lot of people don't know how to communicate. You know, I'm, in fact, I'm thinking of some, some individuals very close to me that have difficulty communicating. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys that are, you know, oh, mm-hmm. oh, blue eyes, oh, for instance. Hi, hi, Sean. Oh, blue eyes. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> he's, he's right now watching a, a riot in McDonald's. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so 
when you approach a guy like Cranky, you've you know the weight. You're not you're somebody yourself, but you're not trying. No one's trying to big time. You're trying to bridge, make a bridge. Mm-hmm. What's your approach, or how? What was your strategy, or how do you communicate? Well, I had to show him um, that I was coming to him and to talk on good faith. You know yeah. what I mean? Because if you're if somebody from a different neighborhood that I didn't get along with, yeah. and I know who they are. You know what I mean? As being members of a different gang that that has a name you know right. what I, mean? I would be a little bit leery f- to meet with them in my neighborhood like wh- why do you want to come over here you know what i mean like what is it you're trying to really get you know what i mean done on this side mm-hmm. how do you show good faith by just you know telling them give me a call this is my number you know think about it right um, if you don't feel uh, up to it just put me in contact with somebody else you know what i mean just stuff like that. So no pressure, no pressure, no fast, no anything. You put the ball in their court. Put the ball in their court. Um, a strategy I used was, I know so and so. I was busted with so and so. Got it. You know what I mean? I said they know who I am. You know what I mean? They they know that I'm a cool guy. Right. You know I'm not into, you know, the politics or you know, gang banging. Right. Like or even like sneaky shit. Right. Mm-hmm. So. He's like, yeah, you know, I know so-and-so, you know, they're cool people. And then he goes, they're related to these people. They'll be here at the beach. They have cars. I'm like, cool, this is exactly what I want to capture, you know, cars and people from your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So met with them, filmed. We were cool. You know, we, we just hit it off. We connect pretty good. And it's it's weird because he has family that lives in El Paso, too. Right. A lot of Chicanos in L.A. came out of El Paso. When we did the Nightwalker show... Mm-hmm. Uh, his family was out of El Paso. The Richard Ramirez? Night Stalker. Yeah, Richard yeah. Ramirez, the Night Stalker. His family was out of El Paso. El Paso. Right. Jesus, did you go back far enough? Is your family out of El Paso? <laughs> wow. Where are they from? Mexico. Where in Mexico? Michoacan? Yeah. They grow weed down there? Probably. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So you talked to Cranky. Right. Because, like, I'm be honest with you, man. When I when someone's like, hey, you're going to talk to a guy, his name is Cranky. Like, the name Cranky already kind of gives me, like, oh, I don't know, the guy's <laughs> name is Cranky. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. might not be in a good mood. Yeah. I know, listen, bro, we, 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 we've, through this, through this venture, this has been a joint venture. You know, this has been Charlie making calls to dudes from Sotel, me making calls, dudes from Venice, us making, and going, and, and, I mean, <laughs> You know, there was there was some there was some filming going on a couple times in Venice. Yeah, now you got to remember, man. Let me be real clear on how I say this. Care about the way I say this. I know that the blood between and the years between Venice and Culver City, and I remember when we were going to film and shoot. I'm like, I was a little bit apprehensive because I'm like. Man, I hope everything's all good. We're going to roll with these dudes, and we're going to be right down at fucking um, Penmar Park, at Oakwood Park, Park with right, these dudes, you know? Right. And we're pulling up, and, and it's a couple dudes that are from the neighborhood, like straight up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. From Venice, you know? Yeah. And we're there, and I'm like, in my head, you know, it's like, it's like, you know what? I know what Charlie's intention is there, and I know what my intention is there. Right. right. And all we can do is go with our intention. Like, I ain't gonna back down. I ain't not gonna show up. Either is Charlie. And whatever's gonna happen is either gonna happen. And either they're gonna be down with that 
or or me and him are going to be trying to handle our business. But we went down there with good and with the right intentions, respectful, and that we want to get this done. And and I felt a little bit like okay, on a couple of different occasions, because not only is he walking into enemies, I'm walking into a neighborhood right. where I'm not. So it's like right. there's three, listen, four different neighborhoods sh- all sitting down. I don't know what's going to happen. Sean and I, listen, I don't, you know, you you're. I don't know what you call it, but you know, you you're you're an OG. Like you're not in the instant moment trying to do stuff in the neighborhood now, right? You're like of course. a little oh, okay. Sean and I were walking with you on Venice Boulevard. You had your shirt off. Ven- Venice uh, Venice uh, Boardwalk. Boardwalk, right? You had your shirt off. We started in Santa Monica. Yeah, and I had my shirt off. Which has got a tattoo that says. Right, so we walk Santa into Venice, Monica. and I'm not even thinking. We're just walking around with my shirt off. And what happened? And what happened was, so we're walking around, and 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 Steve walks by, and there's like dudes selling t-shirts, and they're like, "Hey, what's up?" But they kind of gave him like a little bit of. A, and and Sean and I are oblivious. We're sitting there like, ooh, 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 ooh. "How you doing?" Ah, we're like Sean was like, "Hey, is that your nephew?" And I was like, "No, that's his cousin." And then anyway, we walk a little further, and then the guy comes over, and what did he say to you? So you guys had a conversation. Yeah. He's what like, was the conversation? He's like, "Hey, out of respect, can you put your shirt on?" And I'm like, I look around, I realize, but I'm at Venice Boardwalk, right? Right. And these are little, it's him and like three of his little homies from from, from Venice. I'm like, yeah, of course, bro. Yeah, and Sean and I, we, we we thought, I don't know, we thought that we heard some like, we thought there was flies buzzing by our ears, but there was, there were they, fucking some bullets came flying at us. We were so out of the way. <laughs> the fuck up. But listen, you, if you were in, uh, I've asked, I've asked everybody yeah. from anywhere, yeah, walking around with a shirt off or a slingshot yeah. in Santa Monica, yeah. to put their shirt on, right? You know, and these dudes and were so, probably like, what? How old were these guys? I don't know. Like, like, like twenty. Yeah, they were young like young dudes. They, it's, they, were, it's they were, still, were. I mean, it's not as violent as before, but mm-hmm. as you could tell, the that tension's still there. Yeah, right. No, there. it was. I mean, I, mean, I was. I, I've always been told, like, "What are you doing, homie?" Like, my homies were like, "You're going to these neighborhoods. Are you packing?" I'm like, "Nah." Like, are you stupid? I'm like, I just go in there with a different intention. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, right. like you said, if it happens, it happens. But I want to get this film done. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, but you got to be careful because. Um, you know, did you ever see? Because that's the same kind of thing. It's a little, it's totally different, but it's the same thing that that grizzly man was saying, right? He, this dude would go into. Did you see that movie, uh, no, Charlie no. Grizzly Man? Steve Grizzly Man. Well, this dude from California, from Venice, actually, right? This guy was going in and doing documentaries of wild grizzlies up in Alaska, mm-hmm. right? Every summer he'd go up there and live with the grizzlies and film them, right? And he would be like. You know, I'm just, it's my intention. You know, I have a relationship with the bears. And if you go in there with the right intention and you're filming, you know, it's all good. You know, and he named them. They're Sergeant Brown. You got to watch this one. It's amazing. Cause this is the one where they kill him at the end? And at the end, he gets eaten by a bear. Yeah. They found the watch inside the stomach of the bear. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, so even though you have the right intention doesn't mean that the other people Not do. necessarily, but yeah, I mean, that's fate. Yeah. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm not going in there. Thinking I'm hard or right, like right. or going in there disrespecting. Right, I ain't scared to die. You're not scared to I'm die. I'm not scared to die. Why you know aren't I mean? you scared to die? Because I think maybe this film will have a bigger purpose if I were dead. Man, and maybe maybe the film was the reason that brought you to your death. Maybe it's all just part of the plan. You know what I'm saying? Like who knows? But I tell you this much: 
it's interesting, Charlie, because I don't know what you said, Charlie. You were like something like, they asked me if I was going to shoot them. They didn't have anything to say until I shot them with a camera. Or you right. said something like that, but it was like, oh. once, once we get there and we sit down and the ice is broken and Charlie has the camera setting up and he starts asking them questions, right away, the mood changes. Because people understand where you're coming from and they want to tell their stories. Right. And this is something that is kind of ironic because these guys 10 years ago wouldn't want to tell a story. Mm -hmm. It was forbidden to even talk about stories. Mm -hmm. And now they, they feel like we're, we're all grown. We're all on a different level and it's time to tell a story before the story can be told. Yep. It's... Um and you know, man, it's kind of like, I, I mean, there's, there's almost a part, like when we start talking like that, and sometimes when we're talking with Oscar, we kind of have this same kind of, um, th- this underlining tone of like, we need to tell this story because it's almost gone and it's going away. And there's like a, there's a part of me that it makes me sick. There's a part of me that is bummed out that we have to do this film. Because in 10 years, you won't be able to do the film. Isn't that yeah. kind of like well, a... Even starting the film, I wanted to start with getting history from when the neighbors started, like Sotel and Santa Monica, because I know those were the two of the first neighborhoods that were um, created. I'm, they said I'm a, like two, three years late because the people that were able to tell the story have gone. Have already passed. Already passed. Right. So now that whole era, that the beginning... Is Probably, missing in a way. It won't, it, I mean, it's missing in a way, but there w- there's no proper documentation of that part. Right, right, right. So the only thing I could capture now is moving forward from like the 60s. Right. To like today. Yeah. And then there's just so many other variables that we're having to catch. Right. Bec- this documentary, I don't know if anybody's ever filmed a documentary and been through what we're going through, uh, Chumahan. Wouldn't you agree, like, we're dealing with a lot of different things that are going on, not only in the community, but in the world, and in, like, there's just a lot, man, and this This is one of the few documentaries that was going on when COVID hit. Sure. Right? Changed the vibe on everything. Yes. Right? Yeah. Changed the focus, changed, you know, where the shit could be shown. I mean, we had concepts before about where a premiere was going right, to be or how it, right, and right. it had nothing covid wasn't a thing no, now it's no. a thing right um and there's a lot of other surprise things that we're going to leave absolutely for the documentary that occurred that nobody would anticipate right yes. right so charlie i mean we could but let can you bring because there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this show and, and they're like, oh, I've been hearing about this. I've been seeing this. When's it going to come out? When's it going to like give us a, a briefing on not necessarily when the film's going to come out, but where we're at, what's coming up and what's going on with Westlos. So, like I said, we've been working on this film for like going on six years now, a little bit over five. Um, we're 95 percent done, I believe. Ninety five. You know, what I mean. Um, we just have one more interview just to wrap up and get the whole Sotel story, you know, kind of tied in, in in order. And it's off to editing. Yep. But, you know, I mean, I want this. This is going to be a unique documentary, not because it's about the West Side, because 
the West Side is pretty much could tell the story anywhere. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's what's going on what's going across on. the U.S. right yeah. now. Just it, it started. Yeah. A lot of it started on the West Side. And that's what people think. Like, oh, this is just a Westlos movie. They're going to focus on the West Side. Yeah, I mean, we're going to tell the story about the West Side, but this this it documentary pertains to, pertains to everybody. Everybody, because it, right now, so many people connected to the West Side. Yeah, and it needs to be told. I mean, there's people that I did interviews with that didn't grow up on the West Side, but they they're kind of tied because of the car culture and the influence they had on the West Side. Mm-hmm. And not to mention that, but I mean, I I gotta say that the fact that Gabby Chacon is also in it, I don't think you can. That's an that's an American yeah, original, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you can't you can't. That makes it super special. Absolutely. And I, and you know what? Another thing I want to say is another thing I want to. I constantly step away from this project, and look at it from the outside. And what this project means to me, really, yes, there, yes, it absolutely has to do with us sharing message and stories right. of a culture and a time that's being lost. But the other big thing is like. This film is this film is already changing the west side it's changing the community it's changing the belief systems it's right. changing the relationships like and this film is only going to do that and and solidify that even more the effect that this film is beginning to take on the west side it's connecting everybody bro right like there's a connection and conversation that's coming through this film and is bringing people that have never talked or wouldn't talk or sit in the same room together. Well, and and also let's not let's not let's not forget that it's also about there's going to be more than enough fucking lowrider classic car shit in it as well. On top of these uh, these great that, things, oh, right? Yeah. Well, that that connection he was mentioning, he would weren't you just at the um Friday night? Yeah, so last night. You see, that's kind of crazy in itself because when I was um meeting Cranky and them, it was that cruise was just for Santa Monica guys. Right. They were doing it for a while. So when I started filming, they invited me to go and film them. Right. As I was filming, they invited me to tell my homies, come through. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. it's everybody's there. Yeah, now it's a bunch of different cats. So this film has done some changes with um, right. relationships and connecting people. And it's continuing to. I think that's... uh that's that's just that's just another thing that says this film is supposed to happen it's supposed to be made um one, two man two one two three what was that right is that your guy yeah that's that's Charlie's guy that's Charlie's guy that's, that's my guy that's yeah. Gabby's guy yeah that's Gabby. Gabby hung around with him yeah, if you don't know, that's Bren Wood. Bren Wood. I can't disclose, but I can tell you right now, uh, his music is still doing good right now. Yeah, yeah. And he's another piece of uh, this, story. This, this story, man, and a huge piece of this culture, man. Yeah. There's a lot to say about the West Side. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he grew up in Inglewood. I mean, well, he lived in Inglewood for yeah. years. So. Yeah, he's part of it. And um, Chuman, 
I know we're excited. I know we don't want to give up too much, too much. more. No, we don't. No. We are hard at work as a team, and um, we're growing. I think the film is changing us as the film grows, and uh, more to come. This is part two, part one of a part two part series that we'll oh, be yeah. doing. I think it's like a four part that we're going to be doing on West Los. I mean, I'm I'm down for it. I want to go deep with Uncle Gabby. I want to yeah. just go all in from uh, he he'll let loose. Yeah, yeah. He, he'll, he'll talk. No holds barred. So bar. we're gonna get we're the, the the next time we have Charlie on. It's gonna be the Chacon show. Chacon, yeah, and it's gonna be him and Gabby. Yeah, and uh, I like to bring my little cousin as well. He's yeah, a, he's let's do it. You know what I mean? That's a, bring them all. A younger one coming up. Yeah, so that way we can get three generations in. Three Man, generations. we got so many. I mean, there's so many Chacons. It's hard to keep track. Coming of out of the woodwork. Huh. I, I don't know if there's any uh, enough microphones. <laughs> That's exactly right. Listen, Charlie. Um, and brother, I'll be I'll be talking to you during the week. Yeah, and, like uh, in about five minutes. Yeah, and uh, just a pleasure. I, I, fucking, I know how busy you are, bro. This is one of the busiest guys in uh, North America. That's Charlie Chagone. Charlie Busy And Chagone. he took took time on a Saturday to come out and do this show, and let's talk about the project. And there'll be more talk about this very important film. Right, Charlie. Thank you for coming well, down, thank you man. For having me again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, brother. And uh, like we do about this time, West Los Documentary. Keep your eyes and ears open. And we're saying adios from the Hard Luck Show. Uh, I just want to say thank you guys for having me, too. Yeah. Hey, me on the team. And a big uh, shout out to Lucky, Chumahan, yeah. and Sean. Yeah. And uh, just want to give a shout out to my wife for letting me come down here. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, He'll be going home. What's her home name? What's your wife's uh, name? Kelly. Kelly, thank uh, you, Kelly. Thanks, yeah. Kelly. And uh, last one, uh, shout out to my brother doing his thing in uh, Oregon. Yeah. yeah. Self made tattoos. Self made tattoos. Self made yeah. tattoos. Yeah. Woo. And my Oregon. brother's name is Augie. Yeah. Augie. Augie. Shout out to Augie with this great artwork. Augie's always yeah. like, that's the name of a good guy. Yeah. Hey, Augie. Come yeah. here, Augie. Augie. What's the matter with yeah. you, huh? Like we do yeah. about this time, adios, amigos, from the Hard Luck Show. <laughs>